Hello everyone, how are you doing? Welcome to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod. And it's with George Ellick, who's on the line with me, Ali Maxwell. We talk all things EFL, as you know. Three years and 51 weeks since our first ever podcast, which means that next Monday might get a little self-indulgent, but we will be celebrating four years of podding um, with a very, very fun Monday episode. As for this week, well, George, uh, I texted you late last night. I said, I've got a brainwave here. I've had a brainwave for a Monday pod. It struck me as I was trying to get to sleep that the weekend just been would have been the final weekend or the final day rather of the championship and the League One seasons with League Two having finished uh, a week before that. Uh, And, you know, given what we would be talking about on this Monday pod had things stayed normal, it would have been a review of final day. Instead, it's this. Uh, I said to George, why don't we... (laughs) Just for a little while, shut off all the all the difficulty of, of the current situation, both in, in general terms, but also in footballing terms, the fact that we have none to talk about. Uh, and let's pretend that football carried on. Let's pretend that on the weekend, uh, Championship and League One finished and League Two the week before. And we're basically going to talk through what we think would have happened in those final nine games or so. So I suppose it's predictive in a sense, but it's meant to just be a bit of fun. And, and George, actually spending this morning going through the tables, going through the fixtures left, working out what our final tables would have been, it, it was actually quite fun. And it made me realise how much I'm missing football, to be honest. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's fair to say that anybody listening, don't get too upset if we're, if we're not... Um, putting your team, getting promoted or whatever, it's just a bit of fun. Uh, it's impossible for us to predict. And, and what kind of dawned on me very quickly in doing this, when you're kind of, you have those um, things online where you can plug in all the results and it'll tell you how, uh, what your table is at the end. But then because cause there are like nine games left, if you think someone isn't very good, you're basically saying that they're going to lose or draw every game, which just doesn't happen. <laughs> And you're being judged basically on the back of your last five performances. So I tried to kind of avoid that method of thinking instead and, and maybe have decided to look for the more dramatic possibilities. Uh, so these are, I'm more storytelling than predicting. The, fu- the funny thing is, though, I think that actually has, as you're probably going to end up almost closer to the truth than if you do the fixture by fixture, because exactly as you said, I found the same thing. You essentially find when you do these, uh, especially when you're coming at it from a neutral point of view and you don't have any team particularly that you're supporting and whatnot, is actually you probably categorise the league into, let's say, five or six categories, which involves three or four teams who you think are so much better than the rest of the league. Those at the very bottom who, in your eyes, you know, it's very difficult to imagine them winning games uh, against teams above them, but it does happen and teams at the top do drop points as well so it, it is it is funny doing those table calculators I should say if you want to do this guys listening at home um, worldfootball.net if you go to the normal league table you should find the calculator there that's what we use to calculate our tables you can fill in all the remaining fixtures and see what you get and as George said this is just meant to be a bit of fun the situation that we're in at the moment is obviously not fun in any way 
Uh, and I guess there's a chance that in some ways talking through this could be a little bit painful, um, both for us and for you guys listening, given that we'll be discussing what we could have enjoyed, what we haven't enjoyed and potentially what we might not enjoy for a while. But I think next week we will at least have maybe a bit more news on if and when football will return. Um, but it's it's key to remember that we're in it together, as we always have been. So let's have a bit of fun here, at George, starting at the top of the championship. Uh, a quick note before we start at, at the championship level. No extra points deductions. We have not decided to play God or play EFL or play committee deciding points deductions we have not added any points deductions on even though of course had the season continued there was potential for a few clubs across the three leagues to be uh, deducted points we've not gone down that route uh, George <laughs> let's start with the top two automatic promotion from the championship to the Premier League in this hypothetical world where COVID-19 doesn't exist this is not the one where we've gone for for headlines I think it's fair to say yeah, this was a lead to West Brom 1-2. Uh, and I think had we carried on with the season, I think the race for promotion to the Premier League would have been a pretty boring one. It would have turned into a procession. And the only question to answer would have been who comes top out of the two. And it probably had the makings of turning into quite a good battle. I think we've seen off-pitch this season, both Leeds and West Brom fans have been very keen to try and argue the point that their team is the best team in the division. We've seen West Brom fans understandably a bit put out by hearing certain pundits uh, over different media uh, saying that Leeds are the best team in the league whilst they occupy top spot. We saw Leeds finally hit the top of the table with that final game of the season where they sit kind of at the moment um, in almost promotion purgatory. Uh, in my opinion, on final day, we are looking at a lead side who have already been crowned champions, um, irrespective of what happened. It wasn't going to be one of those days where, you know, Leeds had to drop points and West Brom had to had to get promoted in order to, to prevent that from happening. I think the Leeds, with the form they were in, the way that they were playing, just not even letting teams attack, let alone score mm. goals, um, just meant they were pretty untouchable in their guise. They had Charlton at home. Uh, they would have had Charlton at home on the weekend as well. Uh, West Brom against QPR, I, I think it would have been in second going into it. So not the most exciting thing, but but in my opinion, a worthy one-two, and the one-two would have been Leeds and West Brom. Well, it certainly plays into the real-life discussions uh, being had back and forth between basically everyone involved, both within the game and the fans, as to what should have happen if the leagues can't be completed. Uh, Phil Hay, as always, doing the Lord's work on the Athletic, uh, covering Leeds United, but at the moment sort of covering the, the championship, the EFL's response and their plans or lack thereof in some cases. Um, in a lot of cases, it feels like we're sort of waiting to hear what the Premier League are going to do before the championship really knows. But it seems to be suggested by Phil in his piece recently that uh, pretty much everyone in the championship, uh, chief executives, etc., who are having their weekly conference call, you know, everyone would be very happy uh, to accept this top two. There would not be, compared to some of the other situations across the league, um, any sort of, um, I suppose, legal disputes or, or anyone trying to claim that actually they were well-placed to, uh, to take one of these spots because they have been the best teams. And both of them had... Uh, one large wobble, basically, each uh, around the same time. Interestingly, as you said, uh, Leeds coming into the, the lockdown, having won five games in a row without conceding a goal. Um, West Brom had had a brilliant post-January spell 
uh, with the addition of Callan Robinson specifically helping a lot there. Uh, they won five out of six. And then just before uh, the the suspension of football, they did lose at home to Wigan. They also drew nil-nil at Swansea. So two games having drawn a blank. And with that sort of form, it's difficult to, you know, what are you doing if you're predicting a Leeds wobble out of nowhere and 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 saying that you don't think West Brom would would or could have that it's it's a difficult one to do so I had the same one too as you um and and very worthy one too as well now the rest of the league is is much more difficult um one thing that I found fascinating it's so interesting being able to look back I mean it's not a good thing I'd rather football had continued but it's quite cool to look back and and you know, maybe look at some form tables and things. And, and when you're in the midst of it and the games are coming thick and fast, it can be difficult to sort of keep up with absolutely everything and everything that every team is doing. But if you take the six games before lockdown, which is where most people sort of count the form table, normally last six, you have got Leeds top of it. You've got West Brom in fourth. Um, and then you've just got a bizarre group of teams in the top 10 or 12. <laughs> QPR second in the form table. Wigan third in the form table. Luton, still in the relegation zone, in the fifth best form in the league uh, at the point it was suspended. And then Millwall, Blackburn and Reading, uh, followed by Fulham, Barnsley, Derby and Stoke. So it's mostly bottom half teams there who were in the best form uh, in the previous six games. You know, a couple of playoff chasers, Millwall, Blackburn, uh, and then a couple of sort of seemingly mid-table teams in Derby, Reading, QPR. And then previously or currently relegation threatened sides like Wigan, Stoke, Barnsley and Luton all in in pretty good form. So it does make this kind of difficult because at the same time, you remember that towards the end of the season when there are teams with less to play for, I think it's generally accepted that they do sort of slide off to the beach, slink off a little bit, performance levels drop. But in in some of those cases, these teams were in really good nick and uh, it'd be interesting to see what would have happened. A lot of these teams sort of felt like they were ready to to peak late, I suppose. Um, I also found when doing this, there, there were a few non-playoff teams um, who I'd started to rate not much below those who are really gunning for the last playoff spots. You know, I'm talking about Preston, Bristol City. There's a point where I look at Millwall, Cardiff, even Blackburn and even Huddersfield as well and start to think, actually, I don't... Although the table says that over 30 whatever it is, 37 games, Bristol City and Preston have been better than those teams. On a neutral venue at this stage, if these, te- if these teams in this form would have played head-to-head, maybe I wouldn't have, have had those teams um, doing so well. So I'm interested to know who you've got in your playoff spots. feels like three of them were pretty much locked in. And then in, in, in my simulation, I had an unbelievably chaotic final day with about five teams gunning for it. Uh, what did you have here? Yeah, I think what you're saying is right you know, a better judge of current ability, not ability over the course of, of a year, is going to be the last 8, 10, 12 games. So whilst Preston and Bristol City sit in 6th and 7th as it is, I agree with you. I, I don't think they are in the in the top seven teams in the championship in their current guise. They have been over the course season, but not in the current guise. So unsurprisingly, um, I had both of them falling out of, out of the top seven. I had Bristol City in 8th. Preston in ninth with Blackburn, Derby and Swansea making up the rest of the of the top half. And it ended up being a, a kind of three-way battle for that last spot between Millwall, Cardiff and Bristol City uh, going into the final day with uh, just looking at the final day fixtures now, Millwall at home to Huddersfield and Bristol City were at home to Preston. So like unbelievable 
Would have been um, so good, right? And I think what I did, because I did the predictions, I had. I, mean, I ended up having Millwall coming out in sixth, nice. with Preston beating Bristol City, or maybe just taking a point off them, and Cardiff finishing up just outside. So Gary Rowett doing the job. Millwall would face Brentford in third, who made up that four-point gap with Fulham, unsurprisingly to those regular listeners of the pod that that happened in my predictions. <laughs> and the middle two teams, Fulham and Nottingham Forest, Forest ending up with a four-point cushion back to seventh, but not finishing the season particularly well. I'm still pretty convinced that Forest as a side were, were trending the wrong way um, as the football season came uh, to a close. But I also think that Sabri Lamucci and his style of football is pretty well suited to, to playoff games. Absolutely. Um, a, a manager who knows how to keep it tight, knows how to play the percentages with a couple of players at the top end of the pitch who can make things happen and seem to revel in the big games. So Brentford-Millwall would be my first playoff matchup and then Fulham against Nottingham Forest, the second. So going into final day, mine was even tighter than yours, uh, but ended up with the same result. So I had six teams who could, who could feasibly have got into the playoffs. Millwall, Cardiff, Bristol City, Swansea, at Preston and Blackburn, but there was only one spot up for grabs. Um, that Millwall home game against Huddersfield would have been, I mean, just ridiculously tense because, of course, when, you, when you're doing these predictions, and maybe this is why, maybe we overrated Millwall a little bit. Maybe the recency bias of seeing them go to Forest and play so well, maybe that played a part. But I think also, when you're doing these predictions and you have to do 12 games for each game week, when you see Millwall at home, right, it's almost impossible to predict them to lose because of the den, because of their home record over the last few years, because of the, I mean, it's, it's, it's a stereotype, but it's also borne out in truth that this is just a very good home team. So potentially that, that might have been what, what made the difference with us both having Millwall making the playoffs. Uh, in, my, in my simulation, they made it on goal difference over Cardiff and Bristol City. So that would have been an unbelievable way to, to finish the season, would have made up for no automatic promotion uh, battle. And uh, yeah, just apologies to, to Preston fans, I guess. I think, you know, of, of, of all the teams that might complain that they get a little bit hard done by in terms of coverage, um, I actually think Preston probably the ones that, that have the biggest uh, case for that. So I do feel a little bit bad, but, you know, ultimately we're talking about a, a difference of just a few points over nine games. And uh, I certainly didn't have them losing every game. Um, Brentford went <laughs> above Fulham uh, to get third on final day on mine. Um, and yeah, so the same, the same um, playoff games as you. No Bre way. Brentford, Millwall, Fulham, Forest, two unbelievably tense. Like you can imagine it, 70% possession plays 30% possession in both. And every team is happy with that. That's what every team wants, right? Brentford and Fulham would be thrilled to have all of the ball. But I think Millwall and Forest would be more than comfortable sitting back as well, waiting for those moments in transition and trying to play into space. So those would be some of the tensest and cagiest, I think, in some ways, um, uh, playoff semifinals that you could have despite a differing uh, a difference in style. So I, I really enjoyed that. The only other thing before we move on to the bottom part of the table, the relegation battle, which is just so grim and tense in its own way in the championship uh, the only other note I had was I think I had QPR just about finishing in the top half probably a bit of bias after realizing what good form they'd been on but also I just really liked the idea of Eberieze 
basically using the last nine games of the season to just go on to another level. <laughs> just literally being like, right, this is the last nine games I play at this level for probably a decade. And just, you know, because of maybe with a little bit less less pressure as well with QPR, ostensibly not having that much to play for, just, just treating it like a playground and really going for it. Uh, I think we could have seen a, a real stretch from Eze where he, he made everyone sit up and take notice in the way that he already has done. Um, what about the relegation places? Because, do you know what? Quite quickly going through the games, I saw Hull against Charlton on the 14th of March, Hull against Middlesbrough on 21st of March, Hull against Luton on 25th of April. And given this Hull side had gone into lockdown with two points from 11 games, it strikes me that they were a, a key player in the in the relegation battle. And I think we came out a bit differently here. Yeah, mine was incredibly tight. My, my final league table has Middlesbrough in 20th on 45 points and Luton in 24th on 42 points. So three points splitting the bottom five. And from what I can kind of look back and tell, I think... Luton went into final day with a chance of staying up as well, as did Barnsley. So, I mean, I think we often spoke at the time uh, saying that, just, just basically warning that maybe the, the relegation race wasn't as over as it seemed for a couple of clubs down there. Mm. Uh, Luton, Luton and Barnsley. I mean, Luton were picking up points pretty quickly at that stage of the season. Barnsley certainly weren't picking up as many points as their performances looked to deserve. Um my third relegation spot, so Luton and Barnsley, 24th and 23rd, getting close, but not quite. The last one went to Charlton, the mm. team who dropped into the zone at the game that I went to see uh, just before football ended at the Valley against Middlesbrough. Uh, I was not impressed with what I saw that day, um, I must say, but I was I was surprised myself. In my head, Hull is still the team that I thought were the most likely to take up that spot. Um, but for whatever reason, at whatever time, I, I thought that they would be able to pick up the couple of points that they needed. Because, it, it, in my opinion, given you know the form of, of of those two sides in Charlton and Hull, it wouldn't be many more than a couple of points they needed in order to get out of it. Um, but they just managed to to, to squeak through. Um, and yeah, sorry JJ for listening, but Charlton, the team to make way. Well, they didn't quite make it on mine either. I'm afraid. Um, a defeat to Leeds on final day saw Charlton go down, um, but not. Uh, with uh, Luton, who you had them going down with. In my simulation, they went down with Hull. Just so difficult for my brain to compute, <laughs> giving a team that has picked up two draws and nine defeats in 11 games. I just It was almost... I couldn't put more goals in their column than basically any opposition. But this is why... Go on. This, this is why it's silly. It's because <laughs> if a team... Obviously, they're rubbish, but it's very rare that a team goes through a season I know. picking up picking up an average of two points every eleven games. So realistically, the form, the fact that that happened, the form was set to get marginally better at some stage, mm. purely out of just variance. Like they're gonna probably carry on playing badly and sneak a win here or there. But because we know the evidence, because we know how bad they've been, it's impossible to rationalise giving them points. Mate, which I'm, is... I'm well aware of my faults here. Although, interestingly, looking back at the fixtures, I, I had them drawing with Borough and I had them beating Luton. So I, God knows what happened in their other games. Um, I had Luton staying up um, uh, with Middlesbrough, just uh, both of them on 48 points uh, and Charlton on 47, losing to Leeds on final day. 
Hull uh, one point back further on 46. So, I mean, unbelievably tight. And I think it's worth pointing out, especially given all of the caveats we've made about, you know, not taking it too seriously and also understanding what it is to predict all of these fixtures in one go, uh, is that if there are teams within one, two points of each other, then realistically, that is just, that's more or less... Basically, that's just us thinking that it's all very similar and we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, but yes, in my simulation, we do wave goodbye to Hull. Just a historically poor second half of the season for them from January onwards. Uh, and Charlton, sadly, as well. Um, but it, but an amazing final day because, you know, as you said, you've got that Bristol City, uh, you've got that, who was it? Bristol City-Preston game. Um, you've got Leeds and Charlton with Charlton trying to, you know, trying to hope that Leeds are hungover so they can get a result to stay up. Um, lots of really interesting stuff in there. So enjoyed that. Just a quick aside on the on, on the note of Hull. Mm. Do you think Hull uh, are the team who have benefited the most from the coronavirus outbreak? I mean, I know that that is a very small clutch of clubs who have benefited at all, or maybe mm. benefits the wrong word, but the one who come out of it the best. Because firstly, there's a Jared Bowen thing where they've received £18 million for a player who now would, you know, you'd do well to get £1.8 million for him. They have clauses in his contract at West Ham that means any semblance of success in the rest of his career is going to land them a massive windfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've also got the side who in the whole of the country, in the whole of the EFL, were playing the worst and were destined, you know, I know you're not a huge fan of momentum, mm-hmm. but then they're negative run you know the, the poor form they were showing their spiral towards league one was pretty relentless so of all the clubs i mean the break and the ramifications in a way seem like they couldn't have been better time for, for Hull city yeah yeah absolutely uh i guess just in the interest of putting some others forward uh given that there still hasn't been any sort of sanction uh, or, or result of of the um of the case uh, between Sheffield Wednesday in the EFL and Derby in the EFL, that in some ways, uh, I guess, helps them on a short-term basis. The fact they haven't they haven't either learnt their fate if it's a negative one or or otherwise. Um, can't really think of anyone else to be honest. Also, I just want to pick you up on the m- momentum thing. I, <laughs> that's very specific. My hate of the momentum word is very specific to playoff previews. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't ignore form and I don't think that form makes no difference whatsoever, but I think form gets translated into momentum just to make people seem a little bit smarter or, so, or something. And I don't think it has as big a bearing on semi-final results uh, or even final results as people think, especially because there's normally a fair bit of time. Certainly going into the final, I don't really put much into it because there's like 10 days between the the, the semi-finals and the final. So I, 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 don't, I just don't like the use of the word momentum because I think what it means is not necessarily the right... It's not being used in the right way. Anyway, off my soapbox uh, to move down to League One. I should say that in my simulation, uh, Ollie Watkins overtakes Alexander Mitrovic to win the golden you boot. Petty, petty man. And uh, Calvin Phillips wins player of the season, um, crowning an excellent season for him as well. Um, before we move on to... Uh, League One, Uh, I talked about Phil Hay earlier. He is the excellent Leeds United writer for The Athletic. The Athletic sponsors of this very podcast, for whom we also do the Going Up, Going Down podcast. And we're really enjoying our series EFL Completed, which we would urge you to give a go because it's it's our favourite interview format with a group of people who have done something very specific within the EFL. So we started with Conor Haurahan, a great 
well, just one of our favourite men and players that we've ever covered and talked about his journey from League Two up to the Premier League, stopping off at each division on the way. Uh, last week, we spoke to Dave Edwards, uh, who currently plays for Shrewsbury, started his career at Shrewsbury, born and raised in Shropshire, um, made his debut for them the day they got relegated from the Football League. So played conference football with Shrews and then all the way up to the Premier League as well, where he played with Wolves for three seasons uh, and with Wales. And what an amazing, honest and open talker he is, by the way. Just such a treat to have him talk us through um, well, his career and stories, but also just reflections on it. Uh, and then this week, we've got an absolutely unbelievable guest lined up that you've managed to secure. So keep an eye on the social channels at NTT20Pod over the next few days and make sure you're subscribed to Going Up, Going Down, which is a separate podcast feed because you are going to love this one. One of the game's great characters and scorer of one of the most iconic goals. Uh, but what I wanted to know from you, George, with regards to The Athletic, is which of the many pieces you've enjoyed reading over the last few days? You've already mentioned Phil Hay about three times, and I'm going to mention him again because there's some essential reading, I would say. Um, Phil Hay and Matt Slater, who many people would have listened to on this podcast a fair few times, well, twice, over the last uh, few weeks. And they did a piece that went up on Friday, just an EFL Q&A. Will season, will season restart? What happens to contracts? When can fans attend? They basically go through all the key questions that everyone's asking around coronavirus. Um, you know, what is the EFL's current position? Uh, how complex is the issue of testing? Of course, 66,000 tests they're saying would be needed to complete the season behind closed doors. What about the expiry of players' contracts? You know, if you're somebody who has found those interviews we've done or those chats we've had with Matt Slater in any way interesting or, um, you know, important and you want to read some more about it then it's yeah it's essential reading yeah absolutely uh plenty of other things on there as well interview with great friend of the pod foot golf competitor johnny jackson with jack pitt brook brilliant interview with moses odabajo of sheffield wednesday with nancy frostick what an interesting story he has a very tough tough childhood and a really tough few years uh, dealing with injuries as well. There's the James Chester and Paul Warren joint column, which I've been really enjoying over the last few weeks. Um, Paul Warren uh, writes in the same way that you would hope and expect him to write, uh, bringing many a smile, but also dealing with serious topics very well. So uh, if you want to check all of that out and so much more as well, of course, uh, theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. That will get you 50% off your annual subscription. So uh, I think it's about two quid 50 a month, price of a, a coffee, which you're probably not buying much of at the moment. Certainly not <laughs> certainly not from a cafe, from a takeaway. Um, yeah, theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. And please, please go and subscribe to the Going Up, Going Down feed. George, fair to say that the league that captured your imagination most, nothing to do with Oxford United, by the way, but the league you got most excited about simulating to the end ended up being League One. Yeah, this is maybe where we get more into storytelling than we do into, uh, you know, this is a parallel universe rather than my prediction as to what could have happened. But the way that the fixtures fell on, on final day made me realise there could have been. And, you know, I wouldn't, this isn't beyond the realms of, of likelihood, I guess. A final day that sees Rotherham face Sunderland, Rotherham needing a result to get promoted automatically, Sunderland needing a result to get themselves into the playoffs. And naturally, the case when that happens, third, place six in the playoffs. And I think, 
I basically think the Rotherham are there for the catching. I do not also think, even though Coventry have a five-point cushion over seconds and a game in hand, I don't think they finish the points. I don't think they finish the season more than five points uh, at the top. My prediction is Coventry would have gone up as champions and Peterborough would be the team from the chasing pack who would who would get closest to them, finishing a couple of points behind them. Uh, I saw that our friends at Sky Sports today ran a fo- football manager sim and Oxford United were, were top. Sadly for me, I have Oxford finishing fourth or fifth alongside Fleetwood with it coming between last season's playoff rivals and checker trade rivals, Pompey and Sunderland for that last playoff pace. pace. And my thinking here somewhere is that (laughs) is that Rotherham and Peterborough are basically fighting it out for that last promotion spot, right? Peterborough on final day are hosting Tranmere who are right down towards the bottom. And then you've also got AFC Wimbledon who are hosting Coventry. Mm. Coventry, in my opinion, on the beach, they've won promotion. Yeah. So AFC Wimbledon start the day behind Tranmere, get a result against the champions. It's one of those amazing days in the sunshine in May where you've got both sets of fans celebrating. You've got <laughs> the, the away fans who've been on a jolly since Thursday afternoon coming down, watch their team getting beat by a side battling relegation. Everyone's least favourite League One away day that as well, uh, Wimbledon. They couldn't care less. Uh, I remember going to see Oxford Barnsley when I was like eight years old and Barnsley had been promoted to the Premier League the week before and we beat them 5-0 and it was just absolute carnage. The whole thing was, I mean, they were, even when we scored the fifth, they were still celebrating with their red red and white balloons. Uh, So AS Wimbledon beat Coventry to stay up. Peterborough, very, very late on, get the winner against Tranmere to overtake Rotherham. Of course it's late on. Who are beaten by Sunderland at the New York Stadium. Wow. What does that mean? I don't I that don't know. That means straight afterwards Sunderland and Rotherham have to play a two-legged semi-final oh. in the playoffs after, you know, having spent the whole season in the promotion places after uh, Sunderland have broken Rotherham hearts, Sunderland come out on top over two legs. And I'm a big big believer. I'm not going to say who's who won the semi-final between Fleetwood and Oxford because I might cry um <laughs> just thinking about it. Um but I'm a big believer in teams who suffer heartbreak at Wembley coming back and putting it right the year after. That there's enough evidence to, to support the idea that going through that experience, having the experience of losing, maybe therefore not letting the occasion get to you, maybe not just not being as scared of losing as you were the year before has a positive impact. So Sunderland to sneak into the playoffs on, on the last day, to sneak past Rotherham over two legs, beat Rotherham three times in about 10 days and then beat either Oxford or Fleetwood. Maybe just for romantic for, for the romantic side of things, we'll say it's Oxford. So you've got uh, Stuart Donald in the director's box, not knowing whether to laugh or cry. Uh, and also on final day, that goal that sends Posh back into the championship from Ivan Tony also sends Tranmere, the team they are hosting, down to League Two. Oh, what? what a final day. What a roller coaster. Which game would you ask... BBC Radio 5 Live to send you to there? Like, before the games... Oxford Bolton. (laughs) Brilliant. Oxford Bolton. Definitely, definitely Rotherham against against Sunderland. It would have to be. It would have to be. I tell you what, the the Sunderland-George Ellick relations are warming somewhat. As as we speak, which is nice to I've, see. I've always loved them. I know always you have. Loved them. I know you have. I know you have. It hasn't always been reciprocal. They, they just deserve better, mate. That's it. They just deserve more than Jack Ross. 
Um, uh, before I go through, and I, I just, for some reason, I just haven't been able to think as creatively as you here, but I did end up with a hell of a final day. Just probably d- won't deliver it quite as excitably as that. Just a, a reminder to everyone listening that at the point of suspension, League One is complete carnage, right? There's commentary at the top who, it, you know, you'd, you'd have to be very imaginative to imagine a gigantic collapse, really. Um, it's not borne out in the form or the results or the general vibe of the place or the quality of players, uh, the quality of the system and the quality of the manager. I mean, there is that one little purely, purely data wrinkle where the numbers don't look that good, but plenty of reasons for that stuff always when you dig a little deeper. Um, but below them, you've got seven teams from second to eighth separated by three points, which is complete madness after 35 games. Most of them have played 35. Sunderland have played one more. Wickham have played one less. So Sunderland must have been on an unbelievable run to get into the playoffs on yours. Um, They did make it on mine as well. Also, a reminder, because this would have been a bizarre thing. There's a part of me that's almost glad to some extent that we didn't have this. But because of the Berry situation, Fleetwood, who were due to play Berry on final day, would have just been sitting and watching final day unfold, completely powerless, which mm. would have been a very strange situation. Uh, do, you in- do you reckon if they knew they were playing Oxford on final day, they'd have all just got the, got the bus down and there's a squad just gone to watch the game at the Kassam Stadium? I think so. Quite a good intimidation tactic, if anything. Yeah. Um, they didn't make it in mine. Uh, I haven't been back through the results and see exactly why I thought Fleetwood. I think they've got some quite big games. I think they've still got a lot of the top teams to play. Given their recent form, especially how good they've been defensively, I'm surprised they didn't make it into the playoffs of mine. But then there was always a feeling when I saw that group of seven teams from seven, second to eighth. I mean, immediately you're thinking two of these have to miss out. And it, it doesn't, none of it feels good. Like whoever you leave out, whoever misses out, it feels pretty bad. I should, yeah, I mean, I should say that my, just to justify my Pompey one, because that probably raised a few eyebrows just before you tell us how you finished. It, there's been a feeling with Pompey, and I said for a long time this season, I still thought that they were, um, you know, likely winners of this league. But they've just they've just struggled to really dominate for mm. such a long time now. And if anything, their form was was trending the wrong way towards the back end of the season when teams such as Fleetwood and Peterborough and Rotherham, Sunderland were all kind of, and you know, Oxford with winning five in a row, were all really getting getting to grips with it. So it just felt like of any of the teams who maybe didn't look like they were hitting form at the right time, it, it would be them. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the numbers bear it out, as you've said. Uh, Soccer Stats, the website, which I love, does a, a little last eight games, points per game thing in, in the main table. And you've got, well, as discussed, Coventry, Oxford, Fleetwood, Posh, all at two points per game or more over the last eight. Rotherham, 1.88, close enough. Sunderland, 1.75. Uh, and then Pompey, Pompey, the only team whose last eight games seen them pick up points at a slower rate than their actual points per game tally over the over the course of the season. They did make it in mine. Uh, Rotherham did enough to get second as well. So good news for the Millers uh, in the Maxwell simulation, uh, which meant that Peterborough, Oxford, Sunderland and Portsmouth m- went into what I would have been loudly calling one of the best playoff semi-final matchups of all time. Um, Peterborough against Pompey and Oxford against Sunderland. Um, we'd have done a hell of a road trip, I tell you, up to Sunderland for that game. Um, <laughs> it would have been my wedding day. 
Oh my God, it would have been your wedding day. <laughs> yes, this coming weekend, of course, would have been the wedding day. Well, yeah. we need, to, yeah, we need to have a think about that. Um, <laughs> and uh, as you say, Rotherham Sunderland final day would have been amazing. Uh, a fair few games left involving those top teams. So Coventry, Rotherham, your team, Oxford, as well. You still had some big games to go, you know. Um, but that's how we've shaken out. Both of us going a little bit different here at the top of League One. At the bottom, I think ultimately we had the same thing. I also had. Uh, Wimbledon staying up on goal difference, having drawn with Coventry, uh, with Tramia losing to Posh. So uh, a similar sort of thing, heartbreak for Tramia on final day. What I would say is, listen to this run of fixtures in the space of, I mean, less than two weeks in March. Rochdale against Tramia, Wimbledon against Tramia. So Rochdale, Tramia on the 17th, Wimbledon, Tramia on the 21st. Rochdale Wimbledon on the 24th so you've got some little mini league in the space of a week and then Tranmere MK Dons who have moved away from it but not a million miles away from it uh, on the 28th so we and, and and also MK Dons AFC at, at Wimbledon that, as well yep. in the middle that was in so. the, that was in the mix too so we would have had an absolutely unbelievable uh, two weeks or so we would have known a lot more about the relegation battle by the sort of end of March in the in, in the real world. Uh, I did have Tranmere going on a little run. They definitely picked up some points in those games in my simulation, but ultimately uh, going down on goal difference. Ivan Tony completes a player of the year top goal scorer double, I've written down here. Coventry and their players suffering from being such a strong collective, sadly. Uh, so no one, no one particularly um, gunning for the player of the year there, Ivan Tony. Uh, the standout candidate for me. So, George, League Two. League Two, uh, good good time to say no extra points deductions here. You know, there's there's a suggestion that could have affected the relegation battle with Macclesfield going through such a uh, horrendous time uh, with their owner simply not being able to fund the club to the, to the to, in the manner that he needed to. So who knows what would have happened there. Um, yeah, all I, all I wrote for relegation was Stevenage fans up in arms as Macclesfield do not get a points deduction and they're relegated. <laughs> yeah. Mine just says Stevenage down, comma, obviously. So <laughs> sorry to the Stevenage fans listening. It's going to be quite interesting to look back at this Stevenage campaign, by the way, because points wise, it is almost historically bad. I, I went back through the League Two seasons and certainly the last 10 years, I don't think we've seen anyone pick up as few points as they have, just 22 from 36 points. And yet, and yet, like, it doesn't feel like they've been that bad. It doesn't feel like they haven't been like the South End whipping boys, but somehow in any game where there's been some, you know, any tight game where there's been some question about who might edge it, they have always not edged it. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's been a big issue. Um, but of course, League Two, for context, we head into the uh, make-believe world of, of Eric and Maxwell with Crewe and Swindon on 69 points. Nice. Uh, although Swindon having played a game fewer, a game less. Uh, Plymouth on 68, one back. Exeter, three back on 65. And Cheltenham on 64, but having played a game less. Uh, and then Colchester and Northampton on 58 in the final two playoff spots. And Port Vale on 57, just one point back with Bradford on 54. Uh, talk me through the top of League Two and how you went about it. So I have Swindon and, and Plymouth being fairly comfortable at the top of really? League Two. Um, and I think I basically have Crew and Cheltenham going into final day. 
battling it out for third place. Mm, interesting. There's, there's a few things about crew. I mean, I've had my doubts about crew, not as individuals, but as a team for quite a lot of this season. Um, the data isn't particularly favorable for them in recent history as well. They're kind of higher mid table, kind of top 10, top 16, but nowhere near the levels of Swindon and Plymouth and Cheltenham. Well, Cheltenham closer, but Swindon and Plymouth certainly are cut above. It's easy to look at the, the league table now and see Cheltenham kind of five points behind them and thinking that's too much to to make up. But of course, Cheltenham with a game in hand as well can very quickly shut that down. And crew have some pretty tough games. Mate, uh, let me pick up here because this is a big, big note of mine. Crew actually mm. made it for me. They did make it. But I was astonished at how difficult their run is run in exactly. is uh, compared to, to their, the teams around them. Um, if you look on soccer stats again, a lot of free ads for soccer stats here, and uh, they do quite a good run in analysis, um, which basically measures the uh, current points per game values of your future opponents and also um, weights it to home and away. So uh, it you know it takes it takes into context whether you're playing them at home or away and how good that opposition are uh, in those two spheres. And they've got some unbelievably tough games. They've still got to go away. Uh, to Colchester, to Port Vale, to Bradford, all of whom are, are in that playoff bubble, so plenty to play for, and also all of whom are strong at home and probably a little bit weaker away from home, so that's not where you want to play them. Then they've got a real... They've got some cloggers coming to play as well at Gresty Road. Northampton going long at them, Newport going long at them. You've got Ian Holloway's energetic Grimsby, uh, Forest Green as well. So they have got some tough games, crew, which I thought... Which I hadn't realised pre pre lockdown put it that way <laughs> uh let's hope they get to play them one day um but yes yeah, so I, I have basically crew and Cheltenham going into final day whoever blinks first um their final fixtures were or are um Cheltenham at home to Salford but realistically the result of that match doesn't matter because <laughs> crew Alexandra do get past Cambridge the latest team to suffer from appointing a caretaker after a good little run and they have a desperate end to the season and are just begging for the season to end. Yeah, I had the same. I mean, that's a good final fixture, isn't it? If you have to go away on final day needing a win, I think Cambridge I think Cambridge is the place to go. And just to finish off my promotion push, we've seen it happen a few times. Accrington, as I spoke on, going up, going down uh, a few, a couple of months ago, the one that stick in my mind when you get so close as Cheltenham were and you just miss out it's very very hard to get yourself to dust yourself down and go again in the playoffs and Mike Duff's Cheltenham are cast aside by mysterious curls cobblers who suddenly <laughs> after a pretty underwhelming season find themselves at Wembley playing against the Colchester side who end the season very well and usurp Exeter making up a whopping seven point gap in the last uh, nine games of the season meaning that they get the advantage in terms of the home draw. And they beat extra over two legs. It's Colchester Northampton at Wembley. And John McGreal finally gets Colchester up back into League One at the umpteenth time of asking. Uh, Colchester, one of the most infuriatingly inconsistent and unreliable teams in the whole of English football this season. And you've decided that this is the time where they mm. really kicked on and John yes. McGreal turned them into, into pure winners. Um, I did, I did laugh earlier when you said, and I agree with you that, you know, it, it's, 
it's a positive when a team has lost in the final the year before and they reached the final that year. But I did have a, I did have a think of uh, Paul Tisdale and Exeter City losing in two, two consecutive finals. I think it was, and they mm. probably didn't feel that necessarily. But uh, obviously, not doing it in your simulation either. Um, for me, I had Swindon running away with it. They've got very nice fixtures. It's fair to say. And just an excellent side. Um, going into final day, I had Crew in second, two points above Plymouth and Cheltenham, with Exeter two back from those two. So all four of them with a chance of the two automatic spots. I then had Port Vale, Northampton and Colchester going for two playoff spots. That was still very much alive as well. Sadly for Vale, uh, they lost against Plymouth Argyle, promotion hunting Argyle. Um, but because Crew beat Cambridge and Cheltenham beat Salford in my one as well, uh, Argyle had to settle for a playoff campaign, which given I went really big on them being excellent quite early. This, well, not that early, not at the beginning of the season, but from about January, February onwards and ended up with quite a large bet on them to win promotion. Um, I was I was devastated, but you can't argue. You cannot argue with your own cannot. simulation. Um, so Colchester, they beat Forest Green. Uh, Northampton uh, drew with Newport and Vale lost at promotion hunting Argyle as mentioned so Colu and Northampton went into the playoffs uh, along with Exeter and Plymouth uh, Plymouth beat Northampton on mine and Exeter beat Colchester so we had the we had the two right teams for me in the final uh, and wow a Devon derby between Argyle and Exeter at Wembley would be pretty lively. Uh, and I'll go with Argyle to, to win it there. So um, as we've discussed before, the, the the middle part of League Two from like ninth or 10th downwards is, is fairly grim because there's just not a lot going on. Stevenage, historically bad, uh, relegated in this points deductionless uh, simulation. Um, but hopefully you've enjoyed listening to what could have been, what might have been. It'd be great to hear from you guys about what you think we have got right what we think we've got wrong uh, as long as it's all kept in a friendly spirit with which this podcast is intended uh, it would be great to hear from you at ntt20 pod on twitter think of this more as a football manager simulation than a expert prediction i think that's important exactly exactly this is not scientific um these are not strong opinions that we have this was more a thought exercise which we found enjoyable and which took us away from the current situation and i would say it was based on um, a mixture a heady mixture of gut instinct uh, a bit of form a bit of underlying numbers a bit of everything a bit of individual quality a bit of team quality as well so um yeah we, we most likely haven't got any agendas um but this is what we would have thought would have happened had football continued it didn't it hasn't, um, and we still don't really know if and when it will return. But um, we hope to have some news to talk about maybe next week on the Monday podcast, maybe the week after, uh, as we look to to collectively and outside of sport as well, of course, um, sort of get through this all together. So uh, thanks to everyone who supported us. Can't wait to celebrate four years of Not The Top 20 pod with you next Monday. And otherwise, please, please make sure you subscribe to the Going Up, Going Down podcast feed because we are super excited about our guest this week. George has played a cracker getting him in and uh, we can't wait for it. So follow us at NTT20pod on Twitter and Instagram and we'll talk again soon.